I'm very, very happy to be able to present to you Transmedia, Where Do I Start? Um, which is a good question. Uh, so I'm very, very pleased to be able to present to you a distinguished panel um, that consists of, uh, from my left, uh, going in that direction, obviously, um, uh, Amanda Punter, who is the um, uh, Chief Publishing Officer of Puffin, and uh, Claire Spencer-Cook, who is a development producer at Nexus Productions. I should say that Amanda is kind of... You'll see why I've put this panel together, that it's, um, we have uh, publishing. Uh, Claire Spencer-Cook is uh, independent production company Nexus. Um, and uh, then we have Tony Reid, who is uh, uh, executive producer in-house at CBBS. Uh, Anna Rafferty, who is a leading uh, digital consultant and uh, former MD of Penguin Digital. Um, and she is gonna, he's our real kind of tech expert on the panel. Uh, Phil Ford, who is the uh, co-creator with Russell T. Davis and executive producer on Wizards vs. Aliens, the hit CBBC show, so representing CBBC. Uh, and finally, last but by no means least, uh, Davinia Knowles, who is the chief operating officer at Mind Candy, uh, it really says it all um, as to why she's on the panel. And if you don't know who Mind Candy are, I'm not sure what you're doing in the room. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to start off by trying... Actually, just have a quick show of hands as to who thinks they have a good handle on what transmedia is. Does anyone think they kind of... They've got it? Okay. About half-ish. Okay. <laughs> so we get if the walls if the uh, wheels fall off we're going to come come and talk to you guys. Um, so we're going to start off I think just trying to for those of you that don't don't have a handle on it and uh, um, to um, give it a, a rough definition and agree on what we think. <laughs> this could be the whole session in one go here. Um, what we think transmedia is, and I think I'm going to start at the far end. I'm going to start with Davinia as the, our transmedia kind of expert who has things in place already. Um, well, as far as I'm concerned, um, I feel like um, transmedia, especially in the context of Mind Candy, is about um, storytelling across different platforms. And it's not to be confused with um, producing the same content across multiple platforms. It's actually kind of um, providing interactive touch points, points across a number of platforms that somehow enrich uh, the experience for the, the player, user, etc. Um, that's sort of my understanding of, of transmedia. Right. And do, does that concur with your experience, Anna? Oh, yeah, I agree with that. Um, so just, it's, we've been grabbing people in the bar and asking them what they think transmedia <laughs> is. Um, and we haven't yet had a completely... Um, uh, we haven't had one de definition yet. Um, and there were a lot of axes that kept coming up, I think. And um, the key things were around whether you would meant a linear narrative that transferred um, platforms. I don't think that's what transmedia is. Um, or whether you had uh, replication of content just on multiple platforms. And I don't think that's what transmedia is either. And I agree with you. It's about a sort of story world that can exist concurrently. And it's the best experience of that story on that platform or different you know, uh, enrichments um, of that story on that platform, rather than having to stop watching something and go to a URL to find out what happens next. So in terms of, in terms of publishing, transmedia, where, where, what does that mean for you guys? Well, I, I mean, I'd, I'd agree with both these definitions. I think when, when um, transmedia became a real buzzword maybe um, three or four years ago, 
there was perhaps a slightly more literal definition, which was that, you know, it was a kind of, um, it was much more about um, telling a particular story um, in on different platforms. Um, I'd say that most of our... Um, you know, since that point, most of our brands have evolved to have, uh, you know, to be multi-platform genuinely, and 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 so there's perhaps not so much um, uh, uh, distinction um, between, you know, perhaps at the early days there was things like heroes um, who really were her- heralded as one of the big uh, entertainment properties that used transmedia quite effectively, and they just sort of had graphic novels which were a kind of very specific. Uh, complement to the t- TV show and so on. And I think it's sort of evolved from that, so it's a bit more broad, sort of in Davinia's definition. And I think we're, even though we're from publishing, we are, we're, we're not that different to you guys, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe have smaller budgets, but... In terms of creating TV shows, then... Your understanding of transmedia, does it matter? Does it? Do, do well, I think we. I think what we call um, multi-platform is transmedia. Really, I, I'm not sure if there's that big a distinction between the two because the the content that we make for CBBS is um, so you start thinking about it from a from every platform, and it is. But it's the same story that you're telling, but it's, it's an enrichment across all those platforms. So I think we've been doing transmedia probably for a few years, and we haven't necessarily called it that. Right, and then Phil, similar. It's Upper level at CBBC, or yeah, more um, so. I mean, because of age, does that make a difference? The age range and the age group. I suppose it. I suppose it does. I mean, you're always trying to to reach as wide an audience as you can do, and you will use whatever media um, is 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 available to do that. I mean, it's not something that necessarily I was particularly aware of in. In when we were creating Wizards, it wasn't something that we we considered as such. Though it was obviously something which, once the show gets going, um, people who are much cleverer than I start to consider and how we can use it in terms of in terms of the website and 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 the and the being a game that we can play and stuff and stuff like that, which still is a part of the ongoing storytelling process. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really just about using all those different platforms, you know, to tell the story, to 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 make it as immersive in some ways uh, an experience as you can do. And inter- so it's interesting because I've heard contradictory, uh, funnily enough, on this on this topic, uh, whether you should go into or have when you are pitching or when you're thinking of an idea. I th- whether I think- you just you just think of the idea, or do you think about the certainly certainly from what I can remember when we pitched Wizards. Um, uh, we didn't, I can remember, we didn't go in there and saying, this is something that we can, you know, we went in there pitching a TV show. Mm. On the other hand, I kind of think that these days, if you can go into a pitch and say, you know, and paint it in such a way that obviously there are those elements which lend themselves to, uh, to, to other media, then, then... then perhaps you have a, a you know, then, that, then that's good, obviously. I mean, when we, when we, our, our um, production partners, when we, when we started Wizards, obviously had ideas in terms of, you know, magazines, books, and things like that. Um, those things which kind of cover that package. But that's kind of the commercial package, if you like. Um, and as storytellers, 
uh, which I consider myself to be a storyteller, what you're initially really interested in is how you can best tell that's your story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so <laughs> merchandising, is, it was because to my mind, a lot of this is about merchandising. Um, is, is, is another aspect. You're jumping the gun. We're going to come Which I don't <laughs> dirty my hands with. And is that, is that your experience as an independent producer with ideas? Is it you're looking for ideas and would you, could you then bring the expertise of the thinking about a transmedia or cross-platform? I'm not sure they're the same thing, but... Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think it's slightly different coming at it from a kind of purely creative perspective I think for me or for us in terms of animation it's about where does it start where does the project start and transmedia could suggest that something starts off as a short film but ends up being a web series or a tv series or mm. it's an idea we have for a feature film but then actually that's going to take seven years to get the money together if ever so let's make a storybook app first and then we have something to show for it um, and not every idea or every character is going to suit every medium but it's great if you can find a character that does cross over between all of those, or at yeah, least some yeah. of those. <laughs> and is that because, obviously, at Mind Candy, you seem to have a, a good handle on, on, on this topic? And is that, so would you agree with that? Is that, or is that something that you consider in, in the first kind of creative uh, spurt? Is, is the cross-media, trans-media thing something that's arrives fully formed with the idea? I guess um, when we created Moshi, there was always that element of um, in, in the strategy for it that it would be bigger than just um, on the digital side. Um, and uh, I think you have to have that in mind in some instances, talking about sort of characters that appeal to different platforms. But also, if you're going to go into another medium, um, your characters have to be particularly toyetic and translate mm -hmm. well into that experience. Because, um, again, merchandising isn't just selling a load of plastic to kids. I mean, we want it to be that they collect the characters, they have an emotional bond, and it just extends the experience that they had when they were on the digital Moshi game. Because um, does, does that count as transmedia? Is merchandising part of transmedia? It's interesting, actually, because, I mean, if, with, the, with the toys, and with the reason that we um, sell kids toys and toys buy, ki buy toys is so they can play with them. And the great thing I seem to remember from when I was a kid and I had toys was you make up your own stories. Mm -hmm. So that's an inter actually that's an interesting form of transmedia for me. Because obviously as, as a storyteller who writes television for kids, one of the reasons I do that is because I love the idea that kids can themselves be inspired to write mm -hmm. their own stories and stuff. Mm -hmm. So that's actually the toys doing that. Is, that's a lovely way to do it. Look at Lego. I mean, there's Lego yeah. trying to Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Well, yeah. But there's one that's yeah. gone the other way, isn't yeah. it? Um, and that's, that's another interesting. Mm. And we're, but we're all talking about, I have to say, we're all talking about, talking about quite large corporates with, even the BBC has a, has a bigger budget than probably most uh, independent production companies. And uh, so I'm wondering if there are any, any guerrilla tips, because that was one of the things I wanted to see if there were uh, cheaper, nastier, dirtier ways of, of doing stuff um, that didn't require a, a multi-million pound budget. You don't need a multi-million pound budget. I wish I'd ever worked for <laughs> a multi-million pound budget. Um, I, well, I was thinking about that question. Um, and I think it's sort of dangerous to assume, and I'm coming from it purely from a digital perspective, obviously, um, not toys. Um, but I think it would be dangerous to think that um, doing creating digital IP or content or stories or um, 
is in some way easier or cheaper necessarily than doing it with more traditional media. Um, and the reason I would say that is because it's not just about um, production, of course, um, and that it's just something I've always had in my career that people sort of think that digital means it can be done cheap and quick and easy and don't necessarily always give it the respectful deadlines or budgets that it still needs to succeed. And, and I guess the most key um, thing to bear in mind when you're building digital storytelling, um, and particularly in a social environment, is that frequently you're starting a very direct relationship with your audience. Um, and so therefore there's a commitment to that audience. And the, the risk is less about money that you're putting into it or, or it may feel like it's cheap and easy but things aren't that cheap if you've got to then keep it up forever mm -hmm. um, and and that's the thing that I think people sometimes forget about digital is that it's not necessary can be if you plan for an exit strategy or contain something but it's not a sort of pack and ship product mm -hmm. it's an ongoing yeah. relationship mm. um, so be careful about <laughs> quick and dirty mm. kind of solutions right and and from the publishing point of view, he says projecting. <laughs> yeah, well, I think um, for us, it's uh, um, it's not really a guerrilla tactic, but we're, we obviously work on lots of different brands and, and properties. Um, and for us uh, to really recruit and collaborate with the creator of those properties, you know, the author, um, to, to kind of enhance the transmedia experience is, is where, you know, you know, we, we sort of have to rely on them to be part, very much part of the whole experience because, um, well, one, because of the engagement, as, as Anna's sort of um, touched on. If you're going to, you know, kids want constant engagement with fans that, that, you know, they want to immerse themselves in, you know, that story world or that experience or, you know, and the author's part of that. And so, therefore, you know, it's not actually realistic for us to be able, you know, that's one thing about, I would say about transmedia is it's incredibly resource and um, time sort of heavy. So it, it can be really costly. Um, and so we really um, work in partnership with our authors to kind of, um, particularly on um, social media, for example, to kind of keep up that. So that I, was going, story I wanted to experience. say about spine breakers, which is, I'm going to, oh, you carry on to the microphone. Um, which is a, uh, it's interesting because of this Ofcom report, recent Ofcom report, which shows how uh, kids move, when from a certain age, um, from about 11 onwards, their use of their tablets and mobile devices is far more for social stuff than it is for, say, gaming or that kind of thing. And I just wanted you to talk briefly through spine breakers. I know you were both involved, um, but I don't know, was it, your, was it your baby, wasn't it? It was my, my first baby. <laughs> um, uh, so Spinebreakers isn't really a transmedia proposition, obviously. Um, Spinebreakers, if you don't know about it, I'm sure you all know about it, um, is a co-created website by teenagers, for teenagers, around books. Um, so it was, it's, a, it's a place where, eight years ago, um, when I wanted to engage more uh, teenagers directly with the books that we were publishing and with authors and stories um, and they and MySpace said I couldn't do it with them and other places said I couldn't go um, where the, they were actually going online um, we had to create our own community but that was that's more I mean interestingly with Spinebreakers so it's a place where it's literally run by groups of teens who come into the Penguin offices and make decisions. It's a bit like press gang, but with a website. Um, and they don't tell Stephen Moffat. <laughs> um, they, you know, they decide lots of things. But actually, what it is is a platform for them to 
create their own sort of fan fiction versions of transmedia a lot of the time. A lot of what happens on Spinebreakers is teenagers writing their own endings to books or writing another story with, you know, the characters in the Fault in Our that, Scars. Isn't that therefore a transmedia if they're getting involved in the narrative? And uh, isn't that isn't that how we've kind of defined it just now? Yes, I suppose it's just. It, um, I suppose what I mean is that it's not what um, we didn't set them tasks or challenges to do that necessarily. It's just we created an environment. So it's organic. It's organic. It created a space that they um, sort of had. There's all sorts of things to do with teenagers and reading that is a, a whole different conference. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's not always. Um, the cool thing, they don't always have a peer group that's supportive of them who want to get involved in creating stories. Um, so that's why the internet is magical, um, but there's not always platforms and communities in which teenagers can go to do that. So Spinebreakers was for that. So you created a space, authenticated it, gave them access to assets, and then they came in and did their own thing. And then that was, and that was cool. And absolutely, a lot of it is writing their own stories and developing characters um, in their own ways. Um, but it wasn't something, I think, it wasn't a strategy from Penguin to say, we want teenagers no, to write I, new stories. It's just interesting to me, because I'm wondering where the, the, where the correlation, where the crossover comes between marketing mm. and merchandising and, and transmedia. How much are we being? How much are we being cynical about this, and how much are we? I think I think that's that's a very good point because I can be very cynical about, about transmedia. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, but that what, so what you're talking about there kind of sounds to me like it's kind of authorized fan fiction. Yeah, is that, is that a right? lot of what came out of it yeah. ended up being like which that. is kind of interesting because you know there is an awful lot of fan fiction out there on the on the internet these days, you know, and, you know, I, 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 I am aware of, of stories from shows that I've written on things mm. that, uh, so is that in then transmedia because it's still out there, but it's not a commercial thing. That isn't, that's just something that people do. Mm. And there are sites there that I, cause I've seen them for, for all kinds of Captain Scarlet. I remember when I did Captain Scarlet, there was a site for doing that. And some of the things that those puppets yeah. were doing in the In the fan fiction, but that's okay. as well. Emmerdale fan fiction is one of the biggest, um, the, the most massive categories on fanfiction.net. So fan fiction from Emmerdale, the soap, it's huge. It's absolutely massive. So that's, that's trans, but that is still yeah. transmedia. I agree. And I suppose what it does is it just showcases the fact that people want to immerse themselves in a story world mm. and they just have a hunger yeah, for more absolutely. and more of that character. That's cool. And what about what about for the for preschoolers, Tony? With the, the, does can that play a, a part at all? I think it's interesting that we we were talking about kind of serving um, content in, in lots of different places for our audience, and actually that's part of our remit to, to do that. Um, however, there, there is a small backlash that I'm quite interested in, and in that we we do get complaints from um, some of our parental audience saying, actually, I don't want my child to have everything everywhere. I want to be able to control it a bit more or I don't want them always on the mobile phone, I don't want them on the tablet, I want them to go out and play in the, in the, in the garden. So, mm. you know, I think we're, we're, doing this, we're doing this job of providing this stuff, but we need to be conscious of that and not, you know, we need to remember our audience, I suppose, and, and they may not all want it. Mm. I, I was talking to somebody um, at the um, broadcast uh, media summit about, and I had, didn't have the figures at my fingertips, but I was talking about the, uh, again, this um, Ofcom report, and I thought it was something like 18% of two to... Uh, five-year-olds had had use of tablets it's actually 53 percent I think that's right and I was like wow did they do this research only in Islington or <laughs> um, but that seems that seems slightly high to me is that what does BBC have any experience of that or uh, figures or? I, I don't know I don't know about the figures but I know that we get um, 
our, our mobile sites do extremely well. The apps do extremely well. So there's clearly a demand there. Yeah. I'm not denying there's a demand. I'm just saying that you know that is. There's a little bit of um, reticence from parents to for us mm. to keep on feeding and all this content in those areas. And I guess, to a certain degree, the BBC is in a u- unique position as a public service broadcaster that it it can't. How I mean, can it tell stories in in multiple places? But I suppose, I suppose it can't be monetized or something like that. Is that the? Uh, it, it can. It's a bit of a combination of both, really. I mean, there's, there's a public service side of the BBC where we can provide content that's not monetized, but also that we work very closely with our co-production partners, uh, one of which is BBC Worldwide, and they, they can commercialize apps and, mm. and things like that. So there's, uh, we wouldn't, you wouldn't have a, a particular brand that was only, you only had to pay for. There would be a public service <coughs> kind of part of it that was freely available, but then you might then monetize another bit of it. Yes, because I'm, I'm going to bring Dr. Hu in at this, at this juncture, purely because I think it's a really good example of something that is transmedia that does there's, there's websites, Phil's written for the TV series and for the games, which were, am I right in thinking, they were meant to be part of the show? Yeah, when we did the, uh, the first four games, um, they, uh, the intention was that they went out when the show finished, so that they were like four, you know, and that was the brief. They had to be written as if and have the same amount of character development, the same excitement, the same quality of characters, the same kind of production values, if you like, but as within a, a computer game. And, of course, they were free to download. And that was the first time that any computer game had actually been made which was free to download. Um, so, and obviously that was because, you know, it's for the license fee payers. Um, and, yeah, they were absolutely designed as to be canon. They're part of the series. Um, but, interestingly, you know, nothing could really happen in them that would be referred to back on the show because there are still those people out there, believe it or not, who, who may not have a computer. And so they would be disenfranchised, if you like, from, from, from that story. So um, I think, yeah, um, but I mean, that, but that, was, that was a tremendous opportunity to tell <coughs> in a, a stories in a different way um, because mm. they were very much proper Doctor Who stories. I and mean, there was one with the Daleks, there was one with the Cybermen, one with the Vashta Narada one with, which just happened within the TARDIS itself, and then the following year we did a big one, which was all about uh, the gunpowder plot. Um, so, but it was all about telling stories and, you, and it was very interactive. Mm-hmm. And, and it, yeah, it was totally transmedia, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, Davinia, from, from your point of view, you've come a slightly different angle. I'm quite interested in the story behind the Moshi Monsters movie, because mm-hmm. that's Generally, not we, you know, in our world, we don't talk a lot about film. I've noticed at this conference we haven't talked, spoken a lot about about movies. Um, but you guys just went straight for a movie. <laughs> Is that was that bold, brave? Was that based on any? Was that gut feeling? Was it was it researched? It was interesting. I think that um, we were looking for a way to reach people in a more mass market way, and also felt that. Um, felt like the story of Moshi had never really been told. I think when we put the website together, we sort of intentionally didn't create too much linear story behind it so that we wouldn't be hamstrung later on. Um, What I think Steve and others have done incredibly well with Moshi is um, developed characters. I mean, there's over 200 characters in Moshi and developed characters that have real heart and soul, which kids can really identify with and then choose who they want to align themselves with and so on. Uh, And the movie sort of came out of a want to 
do something really big and bold for the brand, um, but also tell the story that had never actually been told in that kind of a way. And Jocelyn worked on it here as well. Um, uh, And, yeah, so that was kind of the idea behind it. Um, And it was really interesting, I think, kind of sort of going backwards later on and kind of uh, slotting a story into kind of what had never really had a linear path like that. Um, And and Moshi also has a, a, a social aspect to it. Yes. Um, which is quite interesting because it's skewed a lot. How, what is the age range for Moshi, would you say? I don't want to say um, Moshi, wrong. Initially, Moshi was between, um, sort of between 7 and 12 with a sweet, sweet spot 10, um, slightly more girl than boy. Uh, and over a period of time, as happens with brands like this, it has aged down. Um, so it is now more in the realms of 4 to, four to 7, would you say? 7? Yeah. Um, right now. I mean, it, the brand itself has been going over six years which for a kid's brand is not, not bad going. And I think part and parcel of that, of that is because it exists in so many different mediums mm. um, and it's so rich. There's so no, much it's, of it. It's very interesting that but, but obviously um, Penguin had introduced a, a kind of social aspect and, and Moshi has that mm. kind of social aspect. Uh, obviously it doesn't play too much to the preschoolers because they're, they're not really, I guess at that age group they're quite selfish, aren't they? <laughs> and and uh, uh, anyone who has kids can, you know, you, they don't really start to empathise for for a while. They're, they're all about themselves, kind of thing, hopefully so. Um, coming back to um, to publishing then, <laughs> um, what I'd really like to get under the skin of, like, because you don't, you're saying not as big a budget as everyone else. I'd like to come to you and to Claire about... Um, those with, with lower budgets then if it's not dirty and, and quick and what do you do with your smaller budgets um, well the transmedia projects that I've been involved with um, we, we did one actually which was uh, created in house I mean that's another consideration for um, publishing we don't usually own all the rights to everything that we're doing so um, we usually have an author who still holds on to the majority of the rights so there's a limit to what we can do um, but there was an in-house project that I worked on called Girl Heart Boy which was um, a fiction series for teenagers um, and we partnered with a company called Be Active who um, were behind Sophia's Diary some of you might remember from um, 2008 mm. sort of back when um, uh, YouTube was really taking off um, and they created a series of vlogs which sort of um, expanded the story world from that particular series um, and then uh, the, one of our more recent um, sort of transmedia um, experiments has been on Kathy Cassidy's um, books who's, she's basically sort of second to Jacqueline Wilson for the 9 to 12 age group has sold sort of over 2 million um, books and has a very engaged fan community online um, and we created um, a channel on YouTube called CCTV, which sort of cast all the characters. You, um, and then we ran a competition, so you could be the fourth character, the fourth girl in the series. And, you know, we dressed their bedrooms, and they did these vlogs, um, which really sort of engaged and expanded the, um, the world of the Chocolate Pops Girls, which is the series that we were promoting. Um, and, and that was... That the real aim of that was to kind of... Um, to increase Kathy's ebook sales, uh, and and that really did have a, a notable effect on the launch of the third book, um, and we had over a hundred thousand views in just three months. Um, so, and that we ran in house without a partner, and really relied on um, one incredibly dedicated um, marketeer who sort of really put all of this together. Um, 
so I would say partnerships are really key if you do have a small budget and, and working with other people who have expertise or also going to amplify what you're trying to do. Um, and, and so, you know, looking for people who, who um, you know, other small companies potentially who um, don't ha- also don't have big budgets is probably one thing to really think about. I've got this thing on, I think, yeah. Um, I guess from my perspective, it's, it, it does all happen a little bit haphazardly. Um, it, when we come up with new ideas, often it's generated because of a funding deadline. Um, so we look for public funding, obviously. Um, sometimes there's a festival that's doing a specific call for something, and it would be a good place to showcase one of our directors' work. Um, but often it's, it's, quite, it's kind of good to have those deadlines to apply for something because then actually you've done quite a lot of the work to develop an idea so that even if it were a, an unsuccessful pitch for a brand, for example, um, and, you know, not everyone wins every pitch, <laughs> you end up with quite a nice idea which actually when you debrand it, you think this could be a really good film or this could be a really good storybook or this could be a really good character that we could develop in, in 3D and maybe do something interactive with it. Um, so for us, and you've had something that's like that. You had one that was a pitch for something, and then you took it. And yeah, a lot of a lot of my projects tend to be like that. In a way, I, I think, especially because I'm working more on the kind of film and interactive side of things, uh, with character and narrative being at the centre of that. Um, I try and do projects that we, we're kind of going in and saying we're going to make this anyway. Um, if you commission it, then that's great. But if you don't, then we'll just make it with somebody else, or as you know, as a different project, or slightly reinvent it. But um, I mean, just thinking of an example, we're, we're going, it's still in development, but we're releasing um, an app, a storybook app, which will be interactive and animation within it uh, in the autumn called Radio Jones Roboteer. And that actually started off as a feature film idea, which is on our development slate, which we got a bit of funding from the BFI from. Um, and actually, obviously, features can take years and years and years, or they may never happen. So in the meantime, we want to make something like a tangible thing and we've created those characters, and we've created that story world, and we can release it to the public, but in the space and of that, that a can, year. And that will, will monetise the, maybe help fund... Yes, I mean, for that particular more, project, I got funding from Creative Europe, which was then media, uh, as a development uh, project. So they were funding interactive film projects, and we were lucky to get some money for that to develop a prototype. In the end, we're going to finish it, because we can, we can develop right. and create it in-house. But it's given us enough money to, to put time and effort and people onto the, the, you know, the creation, the R&D side of things. And then actually we can support it in-house because it's our own project and we own the rights to it and it's our own IP. Rather than most of the work Nexus still does are commercials, they're, they're pure commission-based and we don't really own any rights in the characters or what we create. Right. And I'm wondering, it seems to me that when we're talking about transmedia, the first place that we go is online. We're thinking um, that, that, that that's the, the internet or an app or something that's downloadable. Um, I mean, it's interesting that, uh, and that's why it's so good to have Mind Candy because that, they were in that space first. You were there first. So I'm, I'm quite interested in, in if there are any processes or if you think there are any processes where you would go, oh, no, the second move wouldn't be to take something online, to stick a website up, to put a game up there, to do an app, but to do a book or to. If it's not a book to do, because you would do a trailer or you would do a, you would do something like that to maybe build uh, awareness for for a book. But it, is it always that way? Um, I think it depends on the brand. What we look at first probably is the uh, what the brand 
is, what you're trying to do with the brand or the property, and then basically who the consumer is and what their activity is. So, so with something like Cathy Cassidy, we, like I say, we have this already very engaged community. We do know that um, you know of seven to twelve year olds, YouTube is that their favourite website, um, and you know, you know, Facebook's quite far down. Instagram's getting more and more popular in seven to twelve year old girls. So we would probably look at it from that point of view. So we're looking at what who the audience is first. Mm. It's a slightly misleading. Um, proposition, if I might say, because the thing is that there's a difference. You don't just use online um, for transmedia, and what you're so so. Of course, everybody will create an online experience for their story or their brand, but it doesn't have to be a transmedia one. It's yeah. it's your marketing. It's your it's because that's where your. Yeah, but I wonder if that's is. where people are getting you know not confused. But that's you think oh I've got a a property a brand I'll do a. I'll do a website. I'll do yeah. a website. I'll put something into, or even interactive up there. Mm-hmm. I say nothing, something static. But I do that, and that I've got. I kind of tra- covered my transmedia base. Yeah, that's not transmedia. <laughs> you know, that's 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 marketing, and marketing is good. I'm, you know, that's very important. I'm not being dismissive of it at all, but they are not the same thing. No, no. But do you, yeah. do you think there are? Um, therefore, I mean, I'm just trying to wonder if there is a process by which you would say. This, this works for a certain audience, this works for that. So therefore, we'll follow this flowchart of how we do transmedia or this flowchart. <laughs> so it's, it's, I was it's a big thinking, ask. I was thinking about your question around, um, you know, kind of what comes first, right? The story or the platform, I suppose. Mm. You know, it's like, so where do you, like, as in, where do you go next? Yeah. You know, do you just go because that's where the audience goes? Because I think that's the sort of marketing decision. Yeah. You go where the audience goes. Um, but then... Um, so I was explaining this to Amanda earlier, so bear with me. I, I'm doing a lot of work at the moment in the arts world, in the real kind of arts and cultural sector. So that's in my head. And I was thinking about art and artists. And so when an artist creates something, um, they have an understanding of where, of the context of their art, right? So where it's going to be. So that's, uh, you know, nothing exists in isolation. Um, so and you can go back to, you know, all kinds of art. So, you know, Renaissance altarpieces or triptychs or whatever. The, the artist knows where it's going to be, how the audience is going to come across it, what's going to look like, how the light's going to hit it, you know, the shape of the room, all of those things. And, um, and then create the art according to that environment. Yeah. And um, so it doesn't happen sort of in isolation. It's, it's in so a if context. you're told to paint the Sistine Chapel... You go and look at the room. Right. Um, and, you know, it's not just about, I want to paint this picture. I want to paint this picture here, like this, for people walking in this room, and I know who they are. Um, and also, similarly, in an art world, you have an idea about what you, you know, the sort of the feeling, the impact you want to make on your audience or the story you want to tell or the image you want to create. But then you also select your materials to do that. And you select them because of your, you know, how comfortable you are with pastels versus oils versus an insulation or whatever. But also because it's the most appropriate one to do what you want to do. Yeah. And I think that in sort of the the conversation about what platform you go to, in a weird way, the platform is both your context and your materials for telling that story. So they don't, you know, you have to have, um, it has to be right. You have to know that that's the right materials for that story because it's going to add something because of the interactivity in the game that you're saying for Doctor Who makes complete sense. The audience is going to want that, care about it, interact with those characters. Wouldn't necessarily work for everything, though. So you need to have an understanding of, of what your, your context is and what your materials is. Ah. Oh, yes. um, <laughs> yeah, Tony. Just on the just on the flip side of that, an experience that I've had recently is that we've we've come up with a really nice idea and we want to own the space quickly. 
So we've um, launched a, a, an iteration of, of the idea online first. Um, so we can uh, get it out there, own that space, while we develop a linear tele-series and various other platforms on, on the kind of back of it. Mm. And so, it was, so we've chosen to use that pla platform partly for that reason, partly to get it out there and get it out while we pass a bit of time, really, in, in, in sort of very basic terms. Mm. So there's another, you know, yeah, there's yeah. all sorts of reasons why you mm. might pick a yeah. platform. We've done that as well. Like we had a short, it wasn't really, there wasn't a great big strategy involved, but um, we made quite a few short films and... Um, one of them, called Invade All the Humans, was made in-house by two directors, Tom and Mark. And it's a very it's a silly story. It's on YouTube um, about two robots who think they're going to take over the world. But actually, they're just crap little toys, and they're only actually taking over a park bench. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it's, it's quite a funny little comedy, but it's all done in music as well, in rap. <laughs> Robot rap. Um, as you do. Yeah. And we, were, you know, we all thought, this is brilliant. You know, this is really funny. It's brilliant. We thought it was for an adult audience. It had some swearing in it. And uh, <laughs> actually, it got picked up by a studio in the US for development. So we're developing a series off the back of it now because they saw it on YouTube. That wasn't really the plan. We didn't really know what to do with it. We thought we'd do festivals. You know, they, they did want to do a TV series off the back of it. But it, there was nothing guaranteed, you know. But actually, we found a good audience and realised that it was it could also appeal to a kind of kids' audience, removing the swear words. <laughs> it was uh, suitable, you know, they saw it as a perfect thing for 7 to 11-year-olds. Yeah. So it's funny how you think it's going to be for that audience or for one thing, and then actually it works quite well for someone else. <laughs> right. Uh, we've got, we've got um, uh, about 20 minutes left, so I'm just going to see if there were any questions at this juncture. Up jump the microphone, people. There's one at the back there. Hello. Um, for the moment, thinking about transmedia as maybe something that the IP owner creates and then user-generated content as something maybe separate afterwards, thinking about the kids taking the toys and making their own stories, how do you balance um, sort of protecting a, the brand and the story compared to then giving kids the tools to then make their own stories and then spread them? Because obviously they do have the platform to be very, very visible with their versions of the stories nowadays, particularly on YouTube. Um, how do you balance that? We're trying to protect the, uh, the, the, the sort of core of the story that you created in the first place. Well, when, once, once it goes into the hands of, of the audience out there and the kids because of the internet, I don't think you can, necess you can necessarily protect it like that. I mean, I think, I think it depends what, what you're talking about. If somebody starts making a, an animated movie, show, movie say, of, of, of Wizards versus Aliens, if they did, which goes out on YouTube, which in some way... Um, damages the brand because it's full of swearing or whatever, I don't know. Um, whether the BBC could take any kind of action, I don't know. It's a bit, um, but I, I mean, it, it is their, their IP, um, yeah. But I mean, I'm not really talking about, in, term, in terms of kids making their own kinds of stories with, with, with the toys and therefore making their own kind of films like that, why would we want necessarily want to control that? Because that's... That's um, that's that's the audience mm. saying how much we love this show. Yeah, yeah. and in um, fact, that's, so, the, whole, so that's the whole basis of Moshi Monsters is for the for the kids to take the characters and do exactly. what they will with them. And, exactly. So. And, yeah, and we've kind of had a whole community team um, who are really great at actually amplifying that. Um, so, kind of actually encouraging children to go off mm. piste mm. with kind of the the RIP and use it and own it in a way, mould it in a way that they can really resonate with. Mm. You you want to do that ideally? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly the same with fan fiction. You know, um, I personally, uh, there's, there's a part of me that says, as a writer, that says, 
if you want to write stories, why don't you just write your own stories? But at the same time, recognizing that, 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 that people out there are writing their own fan fiction for whatever show it is, mm. is, is a huge tribute, yes, exactly. Absolutely. You know, and I yeah. kind of think back to when I was a kid. You know, I probably, you know, there wasn't an internet then for us to do it. It's that long ago. But, yeah, but you no books. <laughs> Quills back then. <laughs> exactly. But I have lots and lots of chalkboards full of stories. Yeah. <laughs> so. My experience in, in uh, preschool is, is slightly different in that when we're talking to our commercial partners or our toy partners, um, we, we, have, we consult with them about the play patterns that the show might inspire. So actually you're designing... You know, the whole the process, you might help to lead our, the children to playing with the toys in the way that you hope they would, with the same sort of educational values possibly, or the same sort of play patterns that, that you're promoting in the show. So it's slightly different for younger, younger children, I think, because you're guiding them a little bit more, whereas obviously when you get to... CBC age, but, but isn't, the, isn't the great thing about fan media, if you like, and it, you know some of its pure copies or kind of a, a cheaper version, is that people are learning the craft by having exactly. a greater brief yeah. to stick to. Absolutely. And I think sometimes it's like you know you can say to people, go make a film. It can be about anything. And you're like, oh god, what am I going to make? Whereas if it's like go make a film about a robot, it's like okay, I can do that. And this, mm. you know, and it's a it's a sad robot, and the story is that it's got to be happy at the end. That gives check. you that format. Is that what you is that what you meant? You were talking about protecting the IP in that way. Was that what you were? Um, sort of. I was thinking about maybe when you were talking about was it spines? Spinebreakers. Creating a sort of uh, an um, official platform almost. And you're saying when you're doing it within this platform, it's official. We, we give it a stamp of approval. Yeah. So in a way that. You almost need to have a transmedia presence so that say this is officially the story, so that the kids can go back to that. I know that was a, that was a starting point, yeah. but they can also then go and make their own stories, but be aware of when it's actually fan fiction and UGC rather than the official. I think content. there's lots of. Um, I mean, firstly, I think kids do know, you know, because they, if, particularly if they're that they're that fanny, right? They know what the real story is, uh, and and you have to trust it. Um, secondly, I think that that's. You know, this sort of stuff that we're talking about, as you say, basically, it's always happened. It's just that the internet makes it uh, a bit more transparent. So the risk is, essentially, is um, as somebody, as a publisher, as Penguin, um, my risk was always I'm, as you say, authenticating an environment in which there's a deviation from, like, the official character. Um, and I did make do a project a few years ago called We Make Stories, um, which is a kid's story creation online world. So there's like a content creation module and audiobook creation thing, and then go on and make their own things. And I really wanted to have um, characters in there from story worlds. And actually, I didn't get any bite from any of the authors because everyone's a bit afraid that we were going to make their hero naughty or, you know, that, that kids would do that and therefore I would have authenticated that. And so we just didn't do it. Um, but that was a long time ago. And I think now people are more... Um, confident with it because as you say fan fiction you know Twilight came from fan fiction it's like you know fan fiction coexists um, really happily with the official story and the fans who are creating and consuming the fan fiction absolutely know the difference straight away that's why they're into it so so you just sort of let go it's about being brave right that's what it's about um, and taking little steps okay who else chat down the front here Hi, just to extend on that point slightly, where um, it seems like a, a years gone by, we've been very precious about our IP and our and our kind of brands and our idea. Can you see a time where kind of um, we no longer get royalties like, ever? We just get bought out, and um, and they go, there you go, that's a great idea. Thank you very much. Five hundred quid, and then we will let all the fans finish it off. 
Do you want to do that? I, 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 maybe, maybe. I think, maybe. I think there's, a, there's a question there. I, I, we were having a kind of pre-discussion discussion, um, about this, and we were saying, talking about um, production values was one of the things that would help distinguish, and I think possibly writing without an editor, um, making, trying to make a TV show on YouTube without the kind of production values that the BBC or independent production companies or ITV or Sky or whatever have behind them, differentiates, is that, is that what we came to, kind of that conclusion? I think, about I think it's that? also a question of curation, isn't it? So mm. ideally, you would have it open to everybody and everyone would finish the story, but then perhaps you'd have an expert in there to, to choose, out, choose the best bits and stick them all together, because you still need that eye, you still need someone to, to yeah. cut the rubbish out, essentially, you know? And, um, it would just be poo jokes and fart well, jokes. Well, and it would just go on forever, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, next. Uh. <laughs> um, does the panel have any uh, good examples of models of, of, of how to take parts of the narrative and how it would suit various formats of a transmedia idea? So, for example, oh, that part of the narrative would suit an alternative reality project, that part of the narrative would suit a TV series and so forth. Are there any good models out there that you've found or you use yourself? Perhaps with Mind Candy, is there any, how, has, how have the transmedia models been used with the film and the website? Um, so it, it's been um, kind of really interesting developing different bits across different platforms. And I think um, probably a really good example is um, music videos. So we've been creating, um, and again, Steve uh, has been creating music videos uh, with some other guys. And basically, on YouTube, they have, like, millions of different views. Um, and it's really interesting because they tell stories about the characters. Um, they're short. They're only a few minutes long, but they tell stories about but the characters. Oh, so catchy. But also catchy, <laughs> yes. Um, that you wouldn't otherwise hear any, like, in a different place. So if you're um, somebody who is really into that particular character, you have multiple touch points, places that you can go. Um, and it's just kind of really snappy content that you can dip in and out of um, really quickly and so on. And I guess, um, it, like to me, uh, it's surprising that it worked so well, that those kind of short, snappy um, videos and songs actually kind of, because kids love music, don't they, but, you know, help them to kind of really kind of get deep into character and so on. So that's kind of one example of, um, of where it's kind of worked really well. I think um, because I mentioned before about rich character, I think because Moshi is so character-led and we're just bringing out Warriors now as well, which again is character-led, collectible, um, then the merchandising does work really well because they're not just toys, they're actually part of the experience as well. And you can kind of collect them and play with them in your kind of own environment and all of that sort of thing and take, you know, different play pattern, take it offline, share it with your friends, all of that sort of thing. So you have a social online and a social offline, which I think is really, really cool. Um, yeah, so just, um, again, I think it's about play patterns, understanding the way that kids um, socialise around the different elements of your content and where, therefore, you can put them that resonates kind of resonates the best. I mean, and also kind of finding out where your, where your um, audience is. Somebody mentioned about platforms, and I think it's really fascinating. One of the things that we found, um, sort of like cautionary tale of platforms, is that platforms change. Essentially, your audience keeps moving around, mm. and you have to kind of keep up with where they are. I mean, um, we've just gone through this transition of being a web-based um, company with all of kind of our web building DNA 
to um, building mobile apps, which is significantly different um, because basically uh, kids moved in their droves to tablets and, and um, smartphones, etc. So it's really interesting about platforms. You can't just assume that you pick a platform and you're done. Mm-hmm. In actual yes. fact, you're, you have to keep it re- really re-evaluating where your audience is going. And also think about real-life events in real places. You know, I mean, I think transmedia for me also means events. And we, mm-hmm. we have projects which are animation-based but are also interactive installations that you can play with. So we've done stuff for the V&A in London and we did an um, interactive installation for a hospital uh, where kids were kind of playing, um, animating characters on screen by using their bodies to move around. But that was commissioned as, art, as a kind of physical therapy as opposed mm-hmm. to kind of a straight game. So I, th- I think for me, you know, well, transmedia can mean physical entertainment in a space as much as online yeah, yeah. and interactive on a handheld device. And it's interesting, the, uh, having said all that, that the kids move around, they, new platforms come and go, and in the, one of the interesting takeaways, I thought, from the Ofcom uh, report, which is readily available online, was that, although there were 54%, 53% of two-year-olds in Islington with their iPads, 98% of kids still watch TV on a TV when the thing, when the thing is broadcast at that time. Uh, and a very high percentage, I think 70-something percent, still read physical books rather than on uh, electronic readers. So that, you know, <laughs> that's to, to be borne in mind, I think, you know, as we're thinking about transmedia. I think that's a brilliant question. Um, and, <laughs> and it's a sort of slightly terrifying question um, because it's... Um, I'm, in, I'm trying to sort of like rack my brain for like really good examples of people who've used Twitter for this particular piece and you know, games for this particular piece and that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose I don't think there's... I suppose like there's no model for it. Um, it's just that, you know, once you know your story really well or you know your characters well or what it is that is the beating heart of your story world and then you understand... This is my sort of rambling thing about context and materials. You know, if you understand what platforms can do, so the audience they get to and, like, their actual technical capabilities, I said, you know, the way they work, then that should spark brain... Uh, you know, make sparks fly in your brain to go, oh, that would work with that, you know. Um, but there's, there won't be rules for it. I, I just find it interesting that the American Association of Film Producers has um, a, a, an official cr- credit now for a transmedia producer. Mm. It can go up on a film, you know, and, and I don't think we're quite sure what that means. <laughs> <laughs> There's, I think we've got time for one final question. Thank you. Um, Michael Shields from Akamar Films. We've just launched with our partners at CBeebies and with HarperCollins, Bing, on uh, CBeebies the last month, and we've... So our linear piece is there. I have two little questions, a small one first from Tony. How big is the pushback from parents? Is it tens or hundreds? And second question, just I'd love to get the panel quickly to just look into their crystal balls and, te- and, and give us, given that it is so, such a dynamic space, uh, where they see it going and what they see as being the key trends in the next medium to long term in this very, space. Very, very briefly. You've only got an orange light. I've got an orange light, yeah, but I'm aware that the red light is coming. The, uh, the red light of doom. The pushback, I think, is, is probably more anecdotal. I mean, the, 
the great thing about the BBC at the moment is that it's very easy to complain. It's very easy for your complaints to get through to people who, who listen, actually. Um, so, but they, they're, a lot of them are kind of more anecdotal, and it's just something that makes your ears prick up a little bit, mm. uh, particularly as I was sat here a couple of years ago doing a whole... Uh, uh, producing a panel about... Um, getting kids out and about and getting them off the laptops and off their the phones and stuff. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, so I, don't, I can't tell you kind of numbers, but it's just something that we get, especially when it, and it goes up, it spikes when we, when the presentation team um, advertise the uh, website and do pushes to the website, suddenly we get spikes of complaints. So it's obviously something that's resonating in the consciousness. I, I can't tell you what the kind of figures are as such. And then looking into the future, if we come down the line from Davinia. Um, yeah, I guess... Um, uh, you're probably just about to hear about our, the release of Pop Jam, our cr- new creative community on mobile. And um, I guess um, that is with all of these kind of uh, trends in mind and where kind of uh, this is all going. I think kids will just become more and more the, um, the uh, finders of their own content. They'll be in control of what they want to find and what they want to see. And we have to find ways that they can easily... Um, find things that they like and want to view and it will be um, even less broadcast than it has become already um, and it will just be more about um, more of a challenge for uh, brands and content creators to connect with children um, and people who own platforms with large distribution networks will win. Phil? Um, I think when, ev- when we all start wearing Google glasses <laughs> you'll you'll walk you'll walk into a building and a build and it, and you'll find the story there. I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I mean yeah. there's, there's no reason why you can't do that. No. You know why buildings themselves could have their own kinds of stories and you walk in there. It's, um, You're dead right. You know, there's, there's the Internet of Things and wearables mm. and all of these mm. exciting things happening. Um, but I suppose I just think that's just more is the answer to your question. It's just more, 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 more of the same, you know. Um, and I think that uh, it's already happening, but um, I think co-creation continues a pace, which is that, you know, that's Tumblr, that's YouTube, that's... Um, and, I, I mean, user-generated, but also the co-creation idea, I think, is... Um, that's young people like that, the young people. I think it's about the, the ideas as well. That, you know, children, I think for very young children, particularly, they like what they most like to see is themselves reflected on the show, however that may be, whether it's through animation, <laughs> through live action, and it's giving, putting, that, putting it in a place where they can see that and, and reflect it wherever it is. That's, it's more about the content, I think, than where it is. Um, I think, for me, it's almost like the digital becoming physical again. That seems to be coming around, and I love the idea of being a kind of micro-indie where you can 3D print your own characters and then make a little film. Or you can, you know, for 20 quid, you can go on Blurb online and then print out your own book of a, you know, a, a, a story that you've created yourself. And actually, it's, it's just so much easier to create, to kind of release your own work and distribute it to your family and friends. But I think that will kind of build and build and build. And, and people at a very young age will be able to kind of learn filmmaking and the craft from a much earlier age and get good at it more quickly. Um, so there'll be a lot more kind of self initiated projects happening. Um, yeah, I, th- I think just uh, sort of picking up on the trends that people have said, it really just increased interactivity and I think um, increased, you know, immersion. So uh, people will just want more of, of a brand they like, they'll want it in more places. And I can see a red light, so yeah, I'm so going <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm just going to finish up with a quote from a, a US uh, screenwriter and novelist, Uh, called Chuck Wendig, 
and and he has a, a blog on uh, and he he waxes lyrical on uh, on on this subject and uh, he uh, put a list up of of uh, 25 things you should know about transmedia and one thing uh, stuck out for me when he said that a single story is like a tree and transmedia is like a forest and the uh, in the forest, you can pick out specific stories, i.e. Uh, points, and go, well, that's a very interesting elm. Or the uh, particularly colourful uh, uh, example he gave was of uh, two squirrels having uh, metamf- uh, uh, methamphetamine sex on a stone that looked like a turtle. Uh, so you can focus on the bits that you wanted to focus on. And uh, as he was comparing... Um, uh, woods and trees. I hope that we have helped see the woods for the trees. <laughs> and I would like, on that note, to give a big, big thank you to our panel. Thank you. Thank you. you just rush. <laughs>